you turn in God's Word tonight to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. We're going to read verses 13 through 49. 13 through 49. Jesus had been taken by the Jews and Pilate. He'd been taken by the Jews to Pilate because they were seeking approval to kill him. Verse 13, now we begin with what Pilate did when Jesus was brought to him. The text is verse 34. Luke 23, beginning at verse 13, this is the word of God. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one, Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For, behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, 
Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. So far do we read God's holy and inspired word. The text is verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. During this season of Lent, we will consider a couple of Jesus' cross words. The season of Lent is the time right before Good Friday and Easter when we especially remember Jesus suffering for the sins of us believers. During this season of Lent, we're going to look at two of his crosswords. One tonight, the first one tonight, the second crossword next week, Lord willing. And these crosswords that we talk about, they are... They're statements that Jesus made while on the cross. There are seven of them. We're going to look at the first two. And when we do so, we will see some of what Jesus went through there at Calvary. Now the purpose of these sermons is that we grow in trust in Jesus alone for salvation. And that we grow in love for him. His words at the cross so clearly remind us that he's the Savior alone. So by God's grace, we will hear this word and, and lay aside even further all trust in ourselves for salvation. And by God's grace, lay our sins before God, trusting in Jesus all the more, in him alone, for salvation from sin and the punishment for it. Additionally, in these sermons, Christ's infinite love will be on display. 
which will help us grow in love for our Savior. And we need that. We need that because we can so easily become very uncaring towards Christ, towards his church, towards catechism, towards his, his blood-bought people, so that we just really become rather apathetic. Just doesn't really matter all that much to us. We know how that can happen, how that can develop in us. We need to hear of Christ's infinite love for us so that we grow in love for him and his church. And we get to hear about that great love now as we consider the first crossword tonight. It's Father, forgive them. That's the theme, Father, forgive them. First, a selfless prayer. Second, a particular prayer. And third, an answered prayer. First, a selfless prayer. While being nailed to the cross, or, or just after, Jesus prayed to the Father. Understand what was happening that Friday of Jesus' death. Very early in the morning, when it was still dark out, Jesus was brought to trial before the Sanhedrin, which was a group of 70 religious leaders in Judah. They condemned him, saying that he was guilty of blasphemy, of disrespecting God, and thus worthy of death. They then brought him to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, seeking his approval to kill Jesus. Now, when Pilate examined Jesus, he said he could find no fault in him, but the Jews brought great pressure to condemn Jesus anyway. He tried to get out of it. He tried to get out of it by asking the people if they would rather have released to them Barabbas, a terrible, known criminal, or Jesus. And you know what the multitude outside of the judgment hall shouted. Crucify him, that is crucify Jesus, crucify him. And for fear of, the, of what the Jews would say about him, if he let Jesus go, Pilate did condemn Jesus to death. Probably around 8.30 in the morning. And then he ordered Roman soldiers to lead Jesus away along with two malefactors to be crucified. Four soldiers were assigned to Jesus and probably four to each of the, the malefactors or criminals that were going to be crucified with him. And a centurion was given command over the whole group, centurion in the Roman army, so that he led them towards the place of execution. And that place of execution was a hill just outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha or Calvary. You can imagine that group heading there, and there were Jews following behind them. When they arrived at that place of execution, the soldiers began building the three crosses on which the men would die. And that death of the cross was an especially terrible way to die. What they would do is they would take a man that was going to be crucified, and they would put a block on the upright pole of, the of a cross, stick that in the ground, they'd put a block on that pole, and then they would put the person to be crucified, sitting him on the block. They'd tie up his arms and tie up his legs to that cross, 
And when he was tied up there, they then would take stakes or big nails and pound them through the hands and feet of that one to be crucified. And you can maybe start to imagine a little bit the pain involved there that when the stakes would go through the hands and feet, it would tear the the tendons in the hands and feet, which causes terrible pain. On top of that, there would be swelling then in the hands and feet soon after. And one's, it would start to be hard to breathe for the one crucified because your body's all stretched out and you're hanging up in the air and being pulled down by gravity, but at the same time stuck up there. Body's all stretched out, so it becomes very hard to breathe. Very painful death. And that, that kind of death was brought to Jesus. That name is used in verse 34. Excuse me, yes, Jesus. That name is, is so important to think about what it, it means. Jehovah saves. So this is Jehovah that's on this cross. Jehovah come in the flesh. He's hanging there. The Roman soldiers took him, Jehovah, come in the flesh, God in the flesh, pounded stakes through his hands and feet so that he had those tendons tearing. He experienced that pain. Jehovah, come in the flesh. Thinking of that pain makes us cringe. And besides that, this Jesus was suffering all this pain under the wrath of God for sin. And that was the worst part of it. While being nailed to the cross, or soon after that, Jesus prayed to the Father. Verses 33 through 34 say this, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So right when he's being nailed to the cross, then said Jesus this prayer to the Father. Understand what it means that he prayed to the Father. That name Father in Scripture sometimes refers to the first person of the Trinity. But it's actually quite rare in Scripture. Most of the time the name Father refers to the triune God. For the triune God is our Father. When Jesus, the Son of God, come in the flesh, prayed to the Father. He was praying to the triune God. It is impossible that his prayers were the prayers of the second person of the Trinity directed to the first person and bypassing then the third person, the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed. He was on this earth. He prayed as the second person of the Trinity come in the flesh and prayed then to the triune God. It can be difficult for us to wrap our minds around, but he was praying to the triune God in his earthly ministry. When he would pray for strengthening in his human nature, he was praying to the triune God. And here, in this text, 
he asked the triune God to provide something for sinful men. This is a prayer to the Father for sinful men. Jesus selflessly prayed for their forgiveness. Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. That word forgive in verse 34, it comes from a word in the original Greek language that means to send away. And the word that, or the idea that's implied in that term forgiveness is that there's a debt. And that debt needs to be sent away. When a man sins, he goes in debt to God. Every man owes God the Creator perfect obedience to His law all the time. But when a man sins, he has not paid what he owes. And so he goes in debt to God whenever he doesn't give that perfect obedience. Those that are in debt to God deserve punishment. Jehovah is holy. He hates sin. The one who sins is is guilty. And that means that you've done wrong and you're liable to temporal and eternal punishment under God's wrath. The wages of sin. So what sin earns is to hear Christ say on the judgment day, you're guilty. Go to the fires prepared for the devil and his angel. His angels. And as we heard this morning, there's no way any man can pay the debt for his sin to get out of this punishment either. We owe God perfect obedience all the time, but then you see we cannot even pay one small part of what we owe. Having a sinful nature, even our best works are stained with sin, as Isaiah 64 verse 6 says. And each time we don't obey God perfectly, we add to our debt. So all we do every day is add to our debt. But the Father's forgiveness, such a wonderful thing to consider. It's His sending that debt away. Forgiveness is a legal term. It's a legal declaration. Forgiveness is God's legal declaration that the debt is sent away. It's Him saying to the the consciousness of the sinner, your debt is sent away. Your debt is removed. I do not hold it against you. It's gone from my sight. Now while, or right after Jesus had Stakes put through his hands and feet. He prayed for sinners, saying, Father, forgive them. Father, declare to them that their debt is sent away. Declare to them that thou wilt not remember their sins. Thou wilt not hold those sins against them. But they're gone. And Jesus' prayer then, when you consider when it is made and what he's praying for, shows amazing selflessness. Amazing selflessness. Think of the pain he's going through again. Maybe some of you have put a nail through part of your hand before, and and you know how much that hurts. 
Jesus was having this done to him as the Son of God come in the flesh. This was Jehovah's salvation who had been in perfect heaven, who had never experienced any discomfort there, was perfectly honored there, and now he was on this earth. He had our flesh and could feel pain like we feel, and he had nails put through his hands and through his feet. And this was being done by enemies. Maybe you have had enemies do something to you before. People do something in hatred that hurts you badly. And then you think of Jesus having men that don't care about him at all, standing in front of him, pounding nails through his hands and feet. And at a moment in which we would expect him to call down a curse upon these men from heaven, something that we might do if people are doing something like that to us, enemies doing that to us, call down a curse upon them from heaven. At a moment, we might expect Jesus to do that. He instead prays, Father, forgive them. He doesn't pronounce a curse down upon these enemies. He wasn't sulking and and saying nothing either and feeling sorry for himself as God's great wrath came upon him. He wasn't thinking just of himself. Thoughts weren't centered on him. Instead, he prayed for forgiveness for sinners. For sinners who had made this hanging on the cross necessary. That's, that's amazing selflessness. And we must imitate him. 1 John 2, verse 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him, that's Christ, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. One of the biggest problems that we have is being selfish instead of selfless. We know that. So easily, my thoughts can be centered on me and what I want to do. What, what do I want to do tonight? What do I want to do today? What do I want? And this starts from a very young age, as we see in our children. As children, you know that. So that at school sometimes, maybe you don't even think of how to include others in different things that might want to be included. You don't think about that because you're only thinking about yourself. Or maybe you think about how they might want to be included, but you don't include them because they're not cool enough or they will hurt the game or some other reason. that doesn't end when we're children. Maybe I know as an adult there's going to be something that I can help with at church or at school or at something else and I don't go because, well, I've done so much of this in the past in my life, it's time for somebody else to take a turn or it's my Saturday or it's this or this for me. I'm busy. I do... So much. Our our thoughts so quickly can center on ourselves and what we do rather than thinking of others. It can easily be the case. We don't even think of helping or how we can help others in the church or some family that's facing trouble. It's easy to dismiss and be 
selfish. And it's especially easy when our enemies are involved. Maybe there are some people, maybe even here, but maybe at school or at work or somewhere else, there's people that maybe have not treated you very well, maybe sinned against you pretty badly. And you think, I'm not, I'm not helping them. Maybe you even think, I, I hope some misery comes to them so they can experience a little bit what I've experienced. We can all relate to selfishness. But instead of that, walk even as he walked. In gratitude, be selfless. Help your kids do that. Help your kids and young people already think of how they can be helpful in the church. Think of how they can be helpful at school. Talk about it at devotion time around the table. How can you kids be helpful in our church and school wherever you go? Talk about it. Help them. And, and as husbands and wives, talk to each other about a family, about an individual that may be in need, and how can we help them? Those are wonderful things to talk about. Pray for strength, that you might be selfless in gratitude for the selfless Savior, Jesus Christ. Second, this evening, when Jesus was being nailed to the cross and he prayed, Father, forgive them, he was making a particular prayer, praying for a particular people. Jesus was praying for God to forgive his people that were there. Some think that Jesus was praying for the forgiveness of all men that were around him at the cross. But that is, that is incorrect. We should understand their view. What, what many will say is that Jesus was praying for the Roman soldiers who were nailing him to the cross. He was praying for Pontius Pilate. He was praying for the Sanhedrin, for the Jews who stood outside the palace and shouted, crucify him, and even for Judas Iscariot. Understand Jesus' words, Father, forgive them. Those words, can, he cannot mean there that he is praying for all his persecutors head for head. Can't mean that. First, if he had prayed for all of them to be forgiven, his prayer would have failed for many of them. Many did not receive the blessings of salvation or forgiveness. And we know that when you, you know that from the book of Acts, when you read what happened, many of those who were his persecutors continued to go after his disciples for even using the name Jesus. They were not forgiven. What makes it especially clear, though, that Jesus did not pray for all his persecutors head for head is the prayer that Jesus made the night before in the upper room when he was with his disciples. That's John 17. Turn there. John 17, verse 9. John 17, verse 9. Thursday night of the Passion Week, the night before, We read Jesus saying this. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, 
but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Therefore, in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus must have not been praying for the forgiveness of all his persecutors. He was praying for those whom the Father had given him. He was praying for the elect, those whom God had chosen from before the foundation of the world. He was praying for the forgiveness of the elect that were around him at the cross. They were living wickedly at the time, certainly. But they were God's chosen people. And he was praying that they would be brought to repentance... That they would be brought to faith, to look to Jesus Christ for all their salvation. That they would be forgiven. Here God declared to their conscience, your debt is sent away. It's gone. Jesus was praying for God to forgive his people there. But he was also praying for God to forgive us believers now. He was praying for God's elect of all all ages of history. Many surrounding the cross rejected Jesus Christ, but we have rejected him too. We each have a sinful nature that stands against Jesus Christ. We each have the same sinful nature that those persecutors of Jesus had. Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden, and when they sinned, we sinned. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, they were our representatives. As just consequence for that sin, a sinful nature was passed to us, passed from Adam and Eve to every man and woman that came after them, a sinful nature that's totally opposed to God, totally opposed to Jesus Christ. Having that sinful nature... If we had stood in the the same place as the Roman soldiers and as the Sanhedrin, we, apart from the grace of God, would have done the exact same thing they did. We would have shouted, crucify him. We have the same sinful nature, so apart from the grace of God, we would have done the same thing. But in addition to that, know that our sins my sins, your sins, sent Jesus to the cross. We might be tempted to think that our sins are not as bad as the sins of the persecutors of Jesus. A while back, I used to bring Lent. I remember bringing Lent sermons to an older man that could no longer go to church. And that man he would listen to those sermons and and week after week he would remark to me how he was so upset with how those Jews treated Jesus. Think about what they're doing to him. How could they treat him like they did? And I understand what he meant by that. I think you do too, but I carefully reminded him that his sins and my sins brought Jesus to the cross. And that we've rejected him too. Every sin we commit essentially says this. I will not have him rule me. I reject him. Crucify him. I will do 
as I please. He's not my Lord, not my King. Our sins are the reason that Jesus was, went to the cross. Jesus' prayer for forgiveness then was not only for the elect who participated directly in his crucifixion, but his prayer was for all us elect whose sins put him on the cross. He had us believers in mind there and the great forgiveness that we need. He had his elect from every age in mind. So what a loving, selfless Savior we have. When you think of it that way, what, what I've done, what a loving, selfless Savior we have. We, we've so often ignored what he has said to do. We've been so often selfish instead of selfless and so often we haven't cared. We so often have said, I will not have him rule me, not my king. Crucify him. And yet, Jesus, while in terrible pain and terrible agony, thought of us. Prayed, Father, forgive them. Prayed that our greatest need would be supplied, sending away of our our debts, and the punishment we deserve for them. What a Savior. Learn from Him. Learn from Christ and pray for forgiveness for those who sin against you. That's something we certainly need to hear about because, as we all know, when someone sins against us, or even sins in general, the, the first thing we so easily do is we talk about it. We talk about it to our wife, and we talk about it to our friends, and to our, our family, and to others. We talk about the sin, maybe the person's badness, how they did this or that. And we do that so easily when what we should be doing is praying for them. Really ask yourself tonight, do I pray for those who have sinned against me? And do I pray for those even who I know are walking in sin in general? Do I pray for them? Do you take time to pray that God would bring them to repentance and, and to look to Jesus for all their salvation and to be forgiven? To hear God declare to their conscience that their debt is sent away. Do you pray that they might have that, that peace and know that? Well, if we're honest, we know that so often when others sin against us, the focus is on, on ourselves and how they hurt us and how they did this or that and not on truly praying for their forgiveness from God. So remember Christ's attitude towards, towards us. Remember Christ's attitude towards you personally. Be selfless and, and pray for those who fall into sin those even who sin against you. Do that in gratitude for Christ's prayers for you, the one he made at the cross, and that he even continues to pray for us as our intercessor today. What happened after Jesus' prayer at the cross is that God answered that prayer. 
God beautifully answered it. He, he answered Jesus' prayer already at the time of the crucifixion and in the days shortly after. And there are many examples of it. Beautiful, wonderful examples. One, one of the thieves on the cross, for instance, who first mocked Jesus, he repented. And Jesus declared to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What Jesus said there implies that this man was forgiven. That's how he could go to paradise. This man was forgiven. God forgave all his terrible crimes, his unbelief, the mockery of Jesus that he had been doing, and God declared to his conscience right then, your debt, thief, your debt is sent away. It's gone. I do not hold it against you. God answered Jesus' prayer for the thief on the cross. God answered Jesus' prayer for the Roman centurion that was in charge of Jesus' crucifixion that day. For in verse 47 we read, that Roman centurion said, or we read, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. The fact that the Bible says this centurion glorified God shows that he was brought to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. God announced to him, your debt is sent away. It's gone. And then consider what happened on Pentecost 50 days later. And according to Acts 2 verse 23, Peter was preaching to a multitude of Jews that had gathered for the feast that day. And he told them, according to verse 23, that they had with wicked hands crucified and slain Jesus Christ. He calls them in verse 37 to repent and believe in Jesus for salvation. And verse 41 tells us this. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Many heard God say to them in the preaching that day, your debt. Your debt, believers, is sent away. It's gone. Wonderful. Know, though, that God did not answer Jesus' prayer and forgive these people because they deserved it. In Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was not saying that these people deserve forgiveness because they were ignorant of what they were doing when they brought Jesus to the cross. Sins of ignorance still bring one into debt to the holy God. Leviticus chapter 5 verse 17 says, If a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord... Though he wist it not, that means though he knew it not, yet is he guilty and shall bear his iniquity. So ignorance is not a ground or legal basis for forgiveness, and Jesus is not making it such in this text. Instead, that phrase, for they know not what they do, simply indicates how Jesus could make the request that he did. He was able to ask the Father to forgive even this awful sin of of crucifying him because they had not committed the unforgivable sin when they brought him to the cross. 
the unpardonable sin is talked about in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29. It would be good to turn there. Those verses are, are a little bit difficult, I would say, to listen to without seeing it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29 talk about the unforgivable sin. I'll start with verses 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Then we'll go to verse 29, which describes this unforgivable sin further. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. The unforgivable sin is committed. When someone who knows Christ was paying for sin with his blood at the cross, and even professes Jesus Christ with his mouth, then turns and thinks it to be an unholy thing, as verse 29 says. He thinks it to be something unholy that is not special. He doesn't care. That's the unpardonable sin. He knows Christ. He knows that Christ was paying for sin with his blood at the cross, but he declares it an unholy thing, something not special. In Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus is saying that the elect that were involved in his crucifixion had not committed that unpardonable sin. Those men at the cross that brought Jesus there, they knew that they were bringing an innocent man to death. And they were doing it out of hatred and out of jealousy. They knew that. They were committing horrible sin in doing so. However, they had not committed the unpardonable sin of knowingly killing the Christ, the Prince of Life. For as Peter says in Acts 3, verse 17 to the Jews, he says, And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. The idea is that they did not understand that the one who was crucified was actually paying for the sins of his people with his blood. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand that this was the prince of life who was actually gaining life for his people through this work. So in the words of Hebrews chapter 10, they were not counting the Savior's blood an unholy thing. They were not counting it to be nothing special. They didn't understand the preciousness of this blood that was being shed. In Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus was teaching that because this sin was committed in ignorance, it falls within the realm of sins that can and will be forgiven for his elect. 
By saying his prayer out loud, Jesus was making sure that the elect that were there, who were doing wrong at the time, he was making sure that they would know in the future that this terrible sin falls in the realm of sins that can and will be forgiven. The elect there were committing a terrible sin, but Jesus, Jesus said this prayer out loud so that later they would remember his words. When they were brought to repentance, they were brought to sorrow over those sins, they would remember that this prayer was something Jesus had prayed, this, this sin was something Jesus had prayed about. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They would remember that this sin, it does it, it it's, it's a forgivable sin. And they would have great peace. So what a selfless Savior that he was thinking of the elect there that were persecuting him. He was thinking of them and their future peace, praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And may it be clear that God forgave the sins of his people who put Jesus on the cross, not, not on the, the basis of their ignorance, but entirely on the basis of what he was doing as he made the prayer. Perfect Jesus was on the cross, suffering under the, the wrath of God against the sins of all his people. He had all those debts on himself, suffering God's wrath for it. So as Jesus was on the cross, it was as, as if he was saying, Father... Forgive them based on what I'm doing right now. Based on the payment I am making for their sins right now. Send their debt away. Do not hold it against them. Never demand its payment, the, the payment of this debt. And God answered Jesus' prayer based on that work Jesus was doing. Dying for these sins. And God answers Jesus' prayer for us too based on that work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Really think of that, how, what that means for me, that Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, and that prayer applies to me, and, it, and it's been answered even, because we have been brought to repentance, been brought to faith, have looked, we look to Jesus for all our salvation, and God declares to our conscience, the courtroom of our conscience, he declares to us, your debt is sent away, believer. It's gone. Your acts of selfishness, all these other acts of sin, gone from my sight. I won't hold those terrible sins against you. You're righteous before me as if you've perfectly obeyed me all the time and you live with me forever in heaven. We hear that announced to us even in the preaching today by our God. Your debt is sent away. So stand amazed as you go home tonight. Be amazed at the selfless love of Jesus Christ. Thinking about our, our terrible sins against God, our, our rejection of Jesus so often, and yet Christ, while being in such agony at the cross, prayed for, for my forgiveness. And he earned that forgiveness even for me right there. And that's why I have it. And go selflessly love others in gratitude. Pray for others, even those who hurt you. 
Pray for their forgiveness. Pray that you might be of help to them. You might together glorify God's name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we are in awe of the marvelous love of the Savior, that he would pray for us, for our forgiveness, and even earn that forgiveness for us by dying at the cross. Lord, we pray that thou will impress upon us his selfless love for us and grow in love for him, grow in love for his people, grow in love for thy people, living selflessly and serving one another. In Jesus' name alone we pray these things. Amen.